Good morning, everyone. It's been another crazy week with a tropical storm and some flooding in different parts of Houston. I hope and pray that you are well and experiencing God's mercy and peace as we continue to live in this time of uncertainty. For the last couple of Sundays, we've been discussing the topic of identity and answering the question, who am I? Our message today consists of two parts as we look through the lens of freedom that we have in Christ. First, in our being, in our individual relationship with him, and second, in our becoming, in our relationship with others. Our first passage comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. What a beautiful passage. It's almost like a love letter from God to his people. However, the first word in this chapter gives us a clue that this is a response to something else. In the previous chapter, we see that the Israelites had turned their backs on God through their disobedience and rebellion. They're described as being blind and deaf, chosen to bear witness to the nations, but they hadn't been faithful to God's ways and trusting in his promises. God had delivered them from the Babylonian exile. And as we see in verse three, God had given Egypt as a ransom price. And yet they were still losing their faith in God. They were complaining and blaming him for their exile, even though it was because of their own wrongdoing. And yet even with all of these things happening in the Israelites' hearts, God's response in Isaiah 43 is, you are mine, you belong to me, and I will take care of you. I am with you wherever you go, even through waters, dangerous rivers, and blazing fires. I love you, and you are precious in my sight. Even as God said these things, though, the Israelites struggled with accepting God's words. Though they had come out of exile, they didn't feel free. They didn't feel redeemed. They hadn't experienced freedom in the way that they themselves defined freedom. They were afraid of being overtaken by stronger nations and saw making alliances with these nations as their key to their freedom. Instead of trusting in God's promise, as a pathway to freedom. 
They were attached to their own plans and their old way of life, which didn't include God. And instead of the life that God so wanted to live with them. And God, with all his love and his compassion said, your blindness and your deafness, your disobedience and your attachments, this is not who you are and I should know because I created you and I formed you. Freedom is a frequently used term, especially here in the U.S. We are, after all, the land of the free. It's a cultural value of ours and one that, as a nation, we are very proud of. This broad idea of freedom has been tossed around even more during this pandemic, especially in relation to masks. Whether you believe that we need to be wearing masks in public or not, the mask is not a symbol of our freedom. Stay-at-home orders and Harris County threat levels are also not an indication of our true freedom. And sometimes we equate freedom with the license and permission to live the way we want. But true freedom looks very differently. You see, God was reminding the Israelites that they belong to him, that they were indeed free in him because he is their redeemer and that he was making a way to save them and restore his relationship with them through his son, Jesus Christ. But they needed to open their eyes and open their ears to live into this freedom that could only come through life with God. We can feel like we aren't free with stay-at-home orders and wearing masks in public, but we as followers of God can still experience freedom in Christ in our individual relationship with Him. The Israelites had a unique purpose to be an example to the world of how to live life with God and bear witness as a light to the nations as God's servants. But instead, they saw this life with God as filled with restraints and limitations, when the truth is that they had freedom to live fully into their unique, God-created, God-formed selves. But their attachments to their own plans, their disobedience, and their narrow definition of freedom kept them from trusting in God's promise. God wants us to live out of the freedom of who we were uniquely created to be. God wants us to live out of the freedom of who we were uniquely created to be. He isn't trying to change who we are because he already sees us as precious and honored in his sight. He just desires for us to live out of who we truly are as God, as a God created and God designed being. There are various schools of thought regarding how to parent 
Some believe that parents are to mold their child in a way that parents see fit and manage behavior. Another approach to parenting is to learn about how our children are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we know how to best guide them on their unique God-designed paths. There's a book called Spiritual Parenting that talks more about this philosophy. The reality is that parenting, while it can be beautiful, it is scary and it's messy because we can overparent by exerting control or suffocating our children, or we can underparent where we might inadvertently neglect some emotional, mental, or physical needs. Whether we overparent or underparent, either way, it keeps our children from experiencing the freedom of becoming the people that God made them to be. All because we're making assumptions of whom we think they ought to be. But what if we approached parenting with a curious and exploratory spirit? We can learn and reflect back what we observe to them. When we can properly mirror and reflect our children's thoughts, feelings, and desires, their identity will be more secure. The who am I, what do I want, what should I do questions will fall into place and come more naturally for them as adults as they make decisions with less restraint and stress and with more freedom and courage because their identity of who they are in Christ is secure. When I was pregnant with twins, it was a fascinating and stressful experience. Because my twins are identical, and the medical term for this is monochorionic diamniotic twins or monodi twins, that means that they shared a placenta, which put my pregnancy at higher risk. For in my entire pregnancy, I had to see a specialist every two weeks to make sure that the twins were growing properly that their blood supply was equally balanced between them because of this shared placenta. And so I got to know them better because I saw them every two weeks on the sonogram. Luke, who was twin A, always had his head down. He never moved or flipped around. And in my interpretation at the time, he had laser sharp focus. Noah, my twin B, was a little more unpredictable. He would flip-flop every time I saw him on the sonogram. And it was like rolling dice when we were getting closer to the due date to see if he would end up head down, which makes for an easier birth or breach where his head is up, which can have more complications. Now that they're four, we're learning a lot about their unique personalities. We were painting a banner for their brother and dad's birthday this past summer. I drew block letters on the banner and asked them to help me decorate it. Luke painted inside the block letters and made sure to stay inside the lines while Noah decided he would paint his own pictures outside the block letters. 
No one taught them to be this certain way. This is just who God created them to be. Even though they share the same DNA as identical twins, they are still uniquely created with their own unique personalities. No two people are the same. And if we go with this line of reasoning, that means what we have to bring to this world is going to be unique to me. God wants to live out of the freedom of who we were uniquely created to be. There is no one out there that is exactly like me. And because of that, I am free to be who I am. And God looks at us and says, you are mine since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I have saved you and redeemed you. Now that we've discussed the freedom that we have in our being between God and me, we're going to explore our becoming between God and us. As we answer the questions, what does it look like to have freedom in Christ in our life together. As a people of God, who should we become? Our second passage comes out of Galatians 5, and we're going to read the extended version of this passage from Eugene Peterson's message version. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you all will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with this free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal marshal and direct our energies wisely. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, 
but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. I love this version of this passage. It's, it's tempting for me to just say amen and just close up the message here. But there are a couple of points here I want to expound on. God was forming a people through the Israelites to be a model for the nations. His vision was for the nations to see that the people of God are different than people of any other culture. We had access, have the opportunity to ask ourselves, who should we become? We went through a message, message series called Ways and Anchors that explored this question in detail. And we have the freedom to explore this question even further. But there are a couple of foundational truths that can guide us from Galatians 5. First, True freedom makes room for a diversity of voices where we aren't forcing our way on others. In our becoming, we invite the spirit to speak to us personally and communally. We should be people who embody mutual understanding and respect, civility in our dialogues, and value for diversity because we believe we are all created in the image of God and we long for our community to reflect the Imago Dei. When we become this people, then we are free to use our God-given voices, our God-given unique and diverse voices and still be in fellowship together because we love one another. This can apply to how we interpret various scripture passages, our political views, and other potentially divisive topics. As a woman who is called to be a pastor, I am still friends with people who don't believe that women should be pastors from their interpretation of selected scripture passages. Sadly, there have been a couple of friendships that have faded over time, and I'm not sure if it's because I'm a pastor now or just that our circle of friends are different. But I also have friends whom I'm still connected with who have known me for a very long time. Occasionally, they will ask me about ministry, but thankfully, we have other things in common in our friendship that connect us together. Now, I could make this one issue, being a female pastor, the issue to define my friendships. I could say, hey, if you're not with me, then you're against me and cut off the relationship. But if I did this, my world would shrink dramatically the potential I have for my world to expand would shrink dramatically. And my dependence on the spirit to love, even when it's hard, would also shrink dramatically. We can choose 
to not force our way onto others. We can choose to love even if others' views are different because life with the Spirit enables us to freely do so. Now, there are times when we need to set personal boundaries. If communication on either side becomes violent or uncivil, and if the person's position is one that can be potentially oppressive towards the other, we mustn't reduce it to an issue where you can just agree to just to disagree. For instance, if Pastor Ted or Pastor John didn't believe women should be pastors, well, that's problematic. It would be challenging and even oppressive for me to work in a place where my supervisor and my colleague, who happens to also be my husband, um, it would be challenging for me to work there in a place where they didn't think I belonged. There are special cases to consider that requires the Spirit's wisdom and discernment in response to these situations. And that's what the passage is saying where we need to work out every detail. There are special situations. From this passage, we also see that true freedom is not found in our selfish ambitions, but in how we love one another. It's our responsibility to live as a free person, one who is not enslaved to the bondage of sin, but free to live according to God's design. But we also have a shared responsibility to love one another by helping to free others from sins and oppressions. A theologian um, that is oftenly quoted in the ECC, Donald Frisk, he talks about this shared responsibility to free others from sins and oppressions. In fact, we need to fully, we need each other in order to fully live in freedom because if we didn't have each other, how can we embody the love of Christ through the fruits of the Spirit? That's why we're the church. That's why we have life groups, formation and faith walking groups and other groups all designed to bring light into darkness, to practice receiving one another so others can walk bravely into the light. Now, naturally, there's some self-centeredness that comes with entering a community. After all, you know, we have needs and we have desires. But what if we showed up in spaces motivated by the spirit of love with the mindset that says, I am here, ready to love. I am putting down my agenda, carving out the space in my Google calendar and making it safe so that people who enter can walk bravely and freely. If everyone entered these spaces with this mindset, imagine what the spirit can do in our becoming personally as a follower of Jesus and collectively as a people of God. Loving one another also includes a shared responsibility to help free others from oppression and speak out against systems that continue 
to oppress time and time again. And yes, I am talking about racial oppression. This past March, Breonna Taylor, a black woman with no criminal record, was shot multiple times when officers rammed into her home on the basis of searching her home because investigators suspected that her ex-boyfriend was using her address to receive packages. No drugs were found and no evidence was found that she was connected to any criminal activity. This past week, the officers responsible for her death were not charged for any wrongdoing, except for a minor charge that was not related to her death. Our Black brothers and sisters are not able to live out of the freedom that God uniquely created them to be. There is no wrongdoing here except that they have faced injustice over and over again. They don't have the same kind of freedom that many of us who aren't Black do have. And it's essential that we raise our voices to fight for the freedom that the Black community deserves because this is what it looks like to love God and to love one another as a people of God. I'd like to close our time by inviting you to join me in a spiritual exercise. It's something that I learned recently that I thought could be helpful for you all as you practice spiritual disciplines in your home. Um, you don't have to do this with me right now. It's just an invitation. I'm gonna start off by uh, finding a, a comfortable space where you can just breathe, relax your body. I'm gonna invite you to put your hands together and clench your hands together like this as tightly as you can. You can close your eyes or leave your eyes open if you feel more comfortable but feel the tension in your hands as you hold them tightly together. Notice the discomfort in between our fingers and the tension in our hands, our shoulders, even our upper backs. As we clench our fists tightly together, meditate on these questions. In our being, what attachments are we holding on to? What are we trying to control? What are the habitual sins we are struggling to break free from? What are the regrets that keep replaying in our minds that are holding us back from living life as a free human being. Keep your hands clenched together as we meditate on our becoming. Who are we becoming in our relationships together? How are we clenching and holding tightly to our views as higher and better than those that are different from us?
Now, I invite you to slowly release your grip and feel all the muscles in your fingers, your hands and the rest of your body relax and allow your hands to open up and your arms to open wide and welcome the spirit to move in our being and our becoming. Amen. I hope you found the clenched hands spiritual exercise one that was helpful and perhaps it's a way that you can incorporate this and practice this at home as you think about the attachments that might be keeping you from receiving um, the freedom that God has for you. And now let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.